0: So I'm contractually obligated to tell you that I posted something on Facebook this morning and within moments it was fact-checked and taken down for false information. Um, I said that my sermon would not be long today. So you're scrooged. Anyway, um, moving right along. So as every time, I love when Kylie plays drums for a number of reasons. One of the reasons I love when Kylie plays drums is because he's good, okay, Another reason I love it when Kylie plays drums is because it's just fun to look up here and see someone else with a bald head. But then I also like it because every time he walks past me, he says, don't suck. (laughs) And so you have to understand that normally I know what he's talking about. Today I was slightly confused because I didn't understand if he was referring to my message or the Georgia defense. too soon? Too soon? Anyway, now that I've got everybody, half of you upset with me and half of you are thinking, oh, this is going to be fun. Let's, let's get started and have some fun. Man, I love this time of year because this time of year gives us an opportunity to pause. I don't care who you are. If you live in America and you've been here longer than my waiter the other night, We went to a restaurant the other night, and I was was talking to our waiter. It was a a Mexican restaurant in in Spartanburg. I was talking to our waiter, and I was like, I'm picking up his dialect. It is not a Mexican dialect. It's not Colombian. So I asked him, you know, where he was from, and he told me that he was from Chile. And he even said that with an accent. And so I was like, this is going to be fun. So I said, well, how, how many years have you been here? And he responded to me in Spanish... Cinco meses aquí, which is five months here. So I was like, oh, this is going to be real good, which explains why our order was not exactly right. That being said, though, unless you're that guy who's only been in the United States for a few months, you can't live in our country and not have some type of understanding of what Christmas is. You may not know the spiritual meaning behind it, but you know at least the retail meaning behind it. You know that the Christmas season Impacts everything in our life, right? And so you can't live here and not be impacted to some way by this time of year. And what I love about this time of year is that when everything else is chaotic around us, this is the time of year that everyone can somewhat pause. I know we're busy, and when I say pause, I don't necessarily mean the calendar, but I mean our thought processes. We can pause for a minute and kind of, kind of, Reflect and kind of come back to center if you will i don 't know if, if this is just me, but do, does anybody else out there do you have things in your life that get so chaotic and so um, so much confusion that you 're like a tile, like a new, uh, like new bathroom a new golf ball teed off in a tile bathroom your, your mind is just bouncing all over is it am I the only one like that and so what happens is this time of year we can kind of come back to center because we know that we're going to gather around family, and we're going to gather around friends, and we know that we're going to get to a place where we're going to celebrate something that has to do with Christmas, correct? And so this this is a great time of year, because with all of the confusion of the last 18 to 24 months, and the confusion that's come out this last week with another variant. My name is not Greg Locke. And I will not be political. I will not sacrifice the calling that God has placed on my life at the altar of political relevance. I will say this. There's going to be another variant and another variant and another variant and another variant. So you might as well just live. Somebody told me that too much sweet tea causes the diabetes. And somebody else told me that if you use sweet and low, it causes cancer. And somebody else told me that if you eat pork, it causes high blood sugar. And somebody else told me unless you eat organically grown, free-range vegetables. Good God, God gave me one chance at this thing called life, and I'm going to live it. That being said... With all of the chaos and confusion that's been in our world for the last 18 to 24 months, this time of year allows us to kind of pause... And have a sense of normalcy because honestly, isn't that what we've all been looking for? Is a sense of normalcy? Something like, we've heard normal ain't coming back. We've heard, well, this is the new normal. We've heard this. Can I tell you something? That there is something that happened about 2,000 years ago that no variant, no virus, no cancer can ever change. And this time of year, we get to celebrate the one who made himself a little lower than the angels. Who who humbly came to this earth, the one who creates all things, sustains all things, and by him are all things held together. We get to take this time of year to celebrate him leaving the glories of heaven and giving up a little bit of that eternity and glory to come be here so that he could offer himself as a sacrifice so that we might get to go and be there. We can have a sense of pause and a sense of normalcy. But let's talk this morning about some things that would steal that joy from us. I mean, you think about this. The, the creator of the universe left the glory of heaven and came here and paid a debt he didn't know to pay a price that you and I could not pay so that we might be made right with God. And we get to celebrate that. But let's, let's think for just a few moments, what are some things that can steal the joy? And I, Gary and I were talking about some things that steal our joy this time of year. And he's going to talk about some others but man I can think about a lot of things that will steal your joy but can I tell you something you can't steal my joy today I stood right over here and I'm going to cry like a baby and I worship with seven of my eight kids you can come kick me in the junk and I ain't going to care you ain't stealing my joy today you better run if you do, though, because I swing hard. <laughs> you ain't stealing my joy. But one of the things that I think steals our joy that often can, can rob us is something that Paul wrote to Timothy, and it's called words. You know, there's power in words. And sometimes we forget about that power. Sometimes we forget that even people who have good intentions, you know, some someone... <laughs> You ever had somebody say something to you, and maybe they said it wrong. Maybe you had a bad day. Maybe you took it wrong, but it just kind of got under it. it just kind of got under your skin a little bit. That that would never happen here, I'm sure. But it happens to me pretty often, where somebody says something to me, and I don't, you know, or it used to happen to me pretty often. Doesn't happen as much anymore because. One of the things that I learned, and this is free, this is not part of the sermon, one of the things I learned about when people say things is don't make assumptions, don't assume that there's a hidden meaning behind what they say. If people would just say what they mean and mean what they say, then I wouldn't have to wonder, well, did they really mean they liked that, or did they mean that that looks good for my body type? You women know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, some of y'all had that conversation this morning. I wasn't trying to start fights. (laughs) But, but for real, you know, sometimes if we would just mean what we say and say what we mean, then we wouldn't have to make assumptions about what somebody means, right? But, but words can get under our skin, and sometimes people can have great intentions with what they say, but we take it the wrong way, right? And when we take it the wrong way, because often we make assumptions, we take it the wrong way, then it gets under our skin, and feelings get hurt, and we go from feelings being hurt to now we're not talking to someone, and that goes on for years uh, it, too often, And again, we have one shot at this thing called life. But this is a great time of year for us to kind of pull it back. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture this morning. And in this passage of Scripture, let me kind of set the stage before we get there. Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy's pastoring the church at Ephesus. Paul is writing to Timothy. And what's happened in the church of Ephesus is there have been some people who have good intentions who have come in and they have begun teaching some things that are false Doctrines We would call them false teachings and things of that nature. And so they've begun teaching this. And Paul is writing to address that. He's writing both to Timothy as the pastor of the church... But he also knew that this letter would be read aloud in the church and so that the people who were teaching the false things as well as those who were hearing the false things would hear this letter being read to them and so that they would all learn together. And so in this text, Paul is writing to correct some false teaching. And as he's writing to correct this false teaching, he tells us some things as well as the church in Ephesus that we can learn and apply in our lives today. And y'all, one of the things that I have learned over the last, I don't know, 20 years in ministry is that too often we make God's word harder to understand than what it is. Now, there are some names in the Old Testament that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Okay? There's some names in the New Testament I'm not going to try to pronounce. And I'm not going to tell you that I have all the doctrines understood and that I understand every bit of it. If you come up to me after church and you ask me what I think about end times prophecy, I'm going to look at you and say, I think you need to know Jesus as your Savior. That's my thought on end times prophecy. Cause can I tell you something? If you don't know that, end times prophecy don't matter to you. It's gonna be a bad day. Okay. So he's writing to correct some teaching, and, he, and it's pretty simple what he tells us. So let's look together. First Timothy uh, chapter one. We'll start in verse three. When you got it, say yo. Hey, somebody got it. They're like, huh? Say yo. All right. Paul writing, he says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Skip down to verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And all God's people said, because we all can look in the mirror and think that about ourselves, right? Of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's almost like we sang some of that a little while ago. I had no idea they were singing that song, by the way. None. So what are we seeing in this text about how words can steal our joy and what our response should be when words that would steal our joy come in? I mean, think about this for a minute. What's happening basically is these false teachers have come in and we don't know exactly what the content of their teaching was, but what what most scholars believe they were teaching is things that aligned with Jewish culture and so... A Jewish law as well, and so they were teaching that they had to not just believe in Christ, but also follow the Mosaic law. and And so, if you're putting people back under the same bondage that they have just come out of, we would call that a form of Phariseeism. And so, what's happening is that as Paul is say is teaching Timothy about the, to, what to teach the church, and he's saying, remember the power or recognize the power of the tongue. These words are important. When, when people start teaching, for example, if someone told you something that was not exactly accurate and you began to base your life on bad financial advice that you received that wasn't accurate financial advice, and then all of a sudden you began to lose money as a result of it, would you keep listening to that person? Like there are power in those words. Like those words have power. And so oftentimes words have power. When we speak, we need to speak life into other people. When people speak to us, we want them to speak life into us. And so we need to be speaking life. Well, what, how do we speak life to someone? Can I tell you this? We have to tell people the truth. But we have to season it with grace. You can tell people the truth and do so and be a jerk and they don't hear you because of how you seasoned it. If you season it with cayenne versus seasoning it with salt and seasoning it with something that's going to give it some flavor, I can tell you right now, if you bring something to my house or to my mother's house, and you have more than, I don't know, two flakes of cayenne pepper in it, my mother will notice it. She will start sweating, and she will talk about how spicy it is, okay? My mother thinks that Dr. Pepper is spicy, But my point is, we have to speak truth, but we have to do it in a way that people can hear what we're saying. I I actually told my son, one of the first times I came here a little over four years ago, someone came in the back, and they had partied all night and were still in a situation where they had obviously partied all night, and they came down to the front. The chairs were up here then and not the tables. And they came down to the front, and in some Baptist circles, they would have said she was making a scene. And what I noticed was that three or four of the ladies walked down there with her and stood there with her and loved on her. I'd never seen that in a church before. I'd seen people walk up to a person like that and gently escort them out the side so that they didn't cause a disruption. But I'd never seen somebody just love someone. Here's what I'm saying by that. We recognize the power of the tongue by recognizing that the words we say have meanings. And Paul wanted Timothy to understand and the church of Ephesus to understand that what they were hearing would impact them. What they were hearing could impact their beliefs, could impact... Whether or not they experienced the freedom that God wanted them to experience, you know, John wrote in his gospel that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But that Christ has come that they might ha- that we might have life and have it in full abundance. But if we're putting ourselves back under the law, then we're not having the abundant life that God created us to have. And so pa- there's power in the tongue, and we so the way that we don't let t- the words steal our joy is we speak truth with grace. And we also recognize the power of the tongue when other people are talking to us. You know, sometimes people say things to us that can be hurtful, and how do we not let that steal our joy? We just recognize and accept that, you know what? What they say about us or to us doesn't matter. Now, that's easier said than done, isn't it? For example, there is a phrase that if you're ever on the phone with me when I'm driving my 18-wheeler and someone does something stupid, you will hear me say, it is not a very godly phrase. It is not a phrase that I am proud I have coined. But it is is a phrase that I will say nonetheless. Because 80,000 pounds don't stop on a dime. Okay? That being said... Lindsay has experienced my trucker's Tourette's more times than I care to admit. And she knows the phrase I'm speaking of right now. So does my 21 year old. And unfortunately, I don't really mean those words when they come out of my mouth. Well, I do. But I don't, because I don't know the person. You, you, You know what I'm saying? In other words, my point is this. Someone else's opinion of me, number one, is none of my business and doesn't change my value in the eyes of who God is. It doesn't change or dictate or determine my value. And so while we recognize that there's power in the tongue when we speak, when others speak to us, we need to realize that their opinion of us, A, is none of our business. B, their opinion of us does not dictate, determine, or change our value. Can I tell you, for many of us in the world in which we live today, that is something that is extremely difficult for us to grasp. We can accept it, but it's hard for us to really take hold of it and own it because we live in a world that has taught us to put so much value on what others think about us. Have y'all noticed that? I mean, we live in a world where our... Worth is determined by how many friends we have on social media, how many likes our Instagram post gets, or how many followers we have on TikTok. I found out the other day, did not know this about myself, I found out the other day that 15,000 followers on TikTok makes you moderately famous. I have 17. What does that mean? I'm semi-moderately famous? I don't know. But my point is, it means absolutely nothing because it's not real life. Anybody can portray that, right? Anybody can post on social media. And so what we have to do to not let someone's words steal our joy is understand who we are. And if you remember how I began this, we are the people for whom, we are people for whom The creator of the universe left the glory of heaven. Came to this earth in the most humble of ways. So that he might live as a homeless carpenter to pay a debt he didn't know. If that alone doesn't give you value, no amount of Instagram followers, no amount of TikTok followers, no amount of Facebook friends, no amount of likes on a post will get you value because those things all change. The value that was assigned to you by Jesus leaving heaven and offering himself for you is something that can never be changed. One of the things that growing up in Baptist churches, one of the things that I often heard was that we were worse than we thought we are and Jesus still loves us. And while that's true, I'm convinced that people don't need to hear that near as much as they need to hear that we have value and that that value was demonstrated because Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to offer himself for us. Most of us know that we suck as human beings. And when we, have, when we know the God of the universe loved us enough that he would give up his son so that he might have a relationship with us, that gives you value and meaning in life. I'm convinced we need more of that and, and maybe not as much beating us over the head. There's a church down the road from our house, and they posted that on their marquee recently, um, that you're worse than you think you are, and God loves you anyway. And while I get what they're trying to say, it did not say to me, I think I'm going to get up this Sunday and go hear how bad I am. Cuz truthfully speaking, if you're like me, you got enough people telling you that, and here's the reality. The person telling you that most often is often the that you listen to the most is often the person you look at in the mirror every morning. So you don't need to hear the false teachings of those around you. You need to hear the truth that will set you free so that you can live an abundant life. So you recognize the power of the tongue. Second thing that that, that he tells him to do, and this is is the point that I'm gonna say, is makes it so simple. Okay. Paul goes on, and, and in verse, let me see, like in verse. Five. He says, the goal of this command is love. And then he tells him where that, where that love comes from, where it originates. The goal of this command is love. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy, I'm not telling you to correct these false teachers because I'm trying to be a jerk or because I'm trying to exercise my authority. I'm telling you to correct these false teachers because the goal of correcting them is that of love from a sincere faith. Okay. Here's the deal. Go back to the basics. Go back to the basics. One of the things that we do is we try to make things so complicated. And one of the great things about this time of year is that we can not allow ourselves to be scrooged when we go back to the basics. What are the basics? The basics aren't about the supply chain crisis that the news and all the talking heads will tell you put Christmas in jeopardy. Can I tell you something? The the ships off the coast at our ports does not put Christmas in jeopardy. Christmas has not been in jeopardy since Herod tried to take out Jesus. Christmas ain't been in jeopardy since 4 BC when Herod died. I know I just messed some of y'all's calendars way up. You're thinking to yourself, wait a minute. It's 2021. We're supposed to have started the clock over when Jesus was born. No, Herod died in 4 BC, which means if he had all the kids, the babies two years old and under, then Jesus had to be born between 4 BC and 6 BC, as a history lesson. It was free. There's certain things that bother me, okay? That's one of them. Sorry, useless information. Way too much, Uncle John's bathroom reader. Some of you are like, I did not need to know that. Yeah, you did. Anyway, go back to the basics. We live in a world that says, oh oh no, there's a new variant. We can't visit with family. Oh no, we have to wear masks. Oh no, we have to get another shot. Oh no, we have to do. Oh no, we have to. Oh no, there's a supply chain crisis. Oh no, Christmas is in jeopardy. No, it's not. Because when Christmas was in jeopardy the first time, God sent Joseph and Mary and Jesus into Egypt so that they could escape persecution. Then when Christmas was in jeopardy, and I'm using Christmas loosely, when Christmas was in jeopardy about 33 years later, when Jesus hung on a cross and he was put in a borrowed tomb, three days later he got up, he just borrowed the tomb, he didn't need it very long. See, Christmas hasn't been in jeopardy, so we go back to the basics. Well, what are the basics? The basics are the fact that God commended his love into us in this way, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The basics are this, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The basics are nothing, all hell may break loose around us, but nothing changes the fact that those of us who know Christ, we have a hope. We have a future. We have a savior. We have a place reserved for us. There's nothing that can steal your joy when you go back to the basics and understand that the God of the universe left heaven, came to earth, lived as a perfect sacrifice, and willingly offered himself so that you and I could have our relationship with the man who created us restored so that we would not have to experience eternal punishment for the result of our sins, but we could experience life in abundance both here and hereafter we go back to the basics and there ain't nothing nobody can say that can steal your joy You get back to the truth. Jesus says what? In John chapter 8, Jesus said, You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. So all of this junk in the world around us may try to steal our joy. All of these words in the world around us, when you turn on CNN, when you turn on Fox News, when you turn on One American News, when you turn on whoever it is you turn on, it may try to steal your joy. But if you press pause, if you press pause and say, But there is a Savior. And you go back to the basics. None of that matters. Go back to the basics. Back to the basics. I was on staff at a church one time, and we were a very event-driven church. It it was, I had always dreamed of being on staff at a large church. I I had the opportunity to go be on staff at a large church, and in a lot of ways, I look at it, and I wish I would have never gone. In a lot of ways, I look at it, and I'm glad I did, because it allowed me to see the curtain be peeled back, to see how things happen at large churches. But I was on staff at a large church, and I remember sitting in staff meetings, every Tuesday at nine o'clock. We go to this staff meeting and we would talk about the flavor of the month club, okay? And I'm not talking about Christmas vacation, the jelly of the month flavor. I'm, I'm talking about, we would go in there and it would, whatever the event was for that month, okay? So I was the high school pastor. So we, had, we were required, every department was required to have one, Semi-major event a month. And every staff member was required to be at every other staff member's event. Do you see how this could get taxing? Our executive pastor made us keep time cards for six weeks. When I handed my time cards in, I had 90 hours every week for six weeks. He looked at my time card and he said, Do not let anyone see this ever we're not paying you enough to work this many hours. I said, there's a solution. Quit making us work this many hours. He said, no, we can't do that. So every time we would go into a staff meeting, this event would have just ended, and the next staff meeting, we would have an after-action review where we talked about the event that just happened, what we learned, what we could do better in all the other departments for the next staff meeting. After about six months of this, I thought that my opinion mattered. I thought that we were a team. And I made the comment because we kept having the same, uh, I'll use problems. We kept having the same problem after each event, right? Like all of our workers at this event were the same workers for this event were the same workers for this event and our workers were getting burnt out. And so, And I'm talking about volunteer workers. I'm talking about staff. They didn't care about staff, but they cared about volunteer because volunteers gave. And we had to have giving to fund the events that you see where I'm going with this. It's a big circle. So anyway, I made the comment in a staff meeting, hey, what if we pressed pause for three months and didn't do any events? I've never been fired from a church, but that may be the closest. Because they all complained about the events. But they never wanted to press pause so that we could refocus and get back to the basics. So that we could remember why we were doing You know, when you have an event at, at, at a church and your people are... And you, maybe you brought 3,000 people through your campus on a weekend. And in that 3,000 people, you had... I don't know, we'll just say 30 people give their lives to Christ, become Christ followers. And you can't celebrate that because you're talking about all the negatives of how people tore up this in the building or how this was... You know, we had so many people, people parked on the grass and they knocked over one of our little trees that we had just planted and now there's ruts in in our grass. Why worry about ruts in the grass if people are coming to know Jesus? Well... We want to present the Lord a pure church. Can I, can I tell y'all something? This is, this is a redneck area. I think I can use this analogy. It's our job to catch them. He'll clean them. He called us to be fishers of men. It's our job to catch them. He'll clean them. It's our job, in other words, it's our job to love them. It's our job to love them. He'll take care of the rest. I'm convinced that, you know, we're we're told in Scripture not to quench the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced that those of us in established churches have done more quenching of the Holy Spirit by embracing, practicing, and promoting legalism than liberalism has ever done. I. same church, I also had a pastor say, I would much rather prefer a legalistic church than a liberal church, to which I thought, that's just preferring rat poison over cyanide. They're both going to kill you. They're both going to kill you. I'd much rather prefer the truth, because liberalism doesn't set you free. Legalism doesn't set you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. So you go back to the basics. So I brought up the comment, hey, let's just press pause. I'm not saying don't do events. I'm saying let's press pause for three months so that we can get back to the basics and remember why we're here to begin with. Remember what God called us here as a church, what God called you as the middle school pastor, what God called me as the high school pastor, you as the rec pastor, what God called us to do in gen- Let's go back to the basics. And and, and you would have thought that I Denied Christ like Peter, except Peter was restored and they, most Baptist churches won't restore the fallen. But anyway, that's a whole other story and for another time. Y'all know I say this because there are people who like to watch these Facebook lives and give thumbs down on anything or give them the mad face when they see that I'm preaching. Four years later, they can't steal my joy because I'm going to laugh at them. Did it last night in the Christmas parade. People walking down through the Christmas parade looked me in the eye, saw me, recognized me, turned their head and looked the other way, would not wave at me. Four years later, you know what I did? I watched my boy march in the band and drum and have a great time, and I thought, I don't give two craps about them. I'm hanging out with my kids because I went back to the basics. When we're talking about going back to the basics this time of the year, we remember what it's all about, which is what Paul wanted Timothy to do in this text, to go back to the basics and to remember what it's all about. It's about the fact that God demonstrated love for us, and the best, the most loving thing we can do for others is to demonstrate love, truth in love, seasoned with grace to them go back to the basics, press pause. When you start hearing, you know, six months ago, I started hearing about the supply chain crisis, and I, and I told Lindsay then, and she'll tell you this, I told Lindsay then, you know, one of the things that I think we should do this year is pull back a little bit on our Christmas giving to the children. Man, y'all listen, if y'all kids are like my kids, they don't need anything. They got everything they need and almost everything they want, Right? And I said, let's, let's make this about family and let's make this about experiences with our kids. Because <laughs> most of what we buy our kids is either going to be gotten rid of in a year or two or buried under something that they, can, that they forget that they have anyway. And, and, but you know what's not is the time we spend with them. You know what's not? You know what's not is the experiences that we can create with them. Where we teach them, where we're serving someone else together, where that we go and we spend time helping somebody, not so we can have a photo op, but so that we can. I see. I believe that you build bonds when you sweat together, whether it's in the gym or whether it's putting a roof on a senior adult lady's house. I believe you build bonds when you when you sweat. It's, I call it the sweat equity bond. When you are doing something for somebody that can't do it for themselves, not, and again, I'm not talking about so you can have a photo op and post it on social media. Don't do that. I'm talking about so you can just love them in a practical way so that they can know that they have value, just like you know you have value, right? Go back to the basics. Go back to the basics. He's, go, he's going back to the basics. And he even does it again in verse 15 through 17 where he says, where he talks about, uh, in verse 17, where he says, this, to the king, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honored and glory forever. He's going back to the basics. This is all about Jesus. You know, when I say go back to the basics, I, I don't know if you guys get as frustrated with this. You know, I told you 6 to 4 BC, that bothers me. Something else that bothers me, have y'all ever been to a store and somebody says, happy holidays, instead of Merry Christmas? okay. Have you ever seen someone get angry about that? Okay, can I tell you this? Let them say happy holidays to you. Look at them and smile. And if you are that concerned and you look at them and smile and say, thank you, man, Merry Christmas, and just walk on. You don't have to correct them. Just speak, just speak truth to them. Even if you speak truth to them that way, you say, but, but they, I'm not telling them that they're wrong. Can I tell you something? Just speak truth in love to them and let the Holy Spirit work on their heart. He will do a better job than you ever will. When they find someone who is a Christ follower who loves them instead of judging them and condemning them for saying what their job makes them say, then they will have an opportunity to hey, they're not all like that. Maybe there's something to this Jesus thing. My personal favorite is not Happy Holidays. My personal favorite is when people put Xmas and they say, "Ah, they're taking the Christ out of Christmas." No, they're not. X is the the symbol for the Greek letter Chi. In the early first century, under Roman persecution, people used that as a way to mark where Christians gathered to worship. They're putting Christ in Christmas more than most of us do when we make it about gifts and things of that nature. But they're not writing it out. People don't know that. It's not their fault that you don't know. Educate yourself. So when you feel like you have to correct them, just love them. When you feel like you have to tell them how wrong they are, just speak truth and love them. The Holy Spirit can do His job. He is more than qualified. He's more qualified than me or you or anybody else. It's kind of why he's God. It's crazy how that works, isn't it? Third thing, remember our own purpose. Remember our own purpose. Paul reminds Timothy of Paul's purpose in verse 15 through 16. And then in verse 18, we didn't read it, but he reminds Timothy of his purpose. But he tells him, he says, listen, I was the worst of sinners And God's grace was shown to me so that in me, the worst of sinners, others might see that they too can receive eternal life. Man, so (laughs) yesterday I was uh, talking to somebody and I mentioned that I'd be preaching here this morning. This individual said to me, you know, I... I I still think that, you know, you can be a preacher or you can be an evangelist or, you know, something like that, but I just don't, I just really don't believe that you're qualified to be a pastor anymore. And um, I thought about that. Remember our own purpose, and I thought about what this person said to me yesterday. And then I was reminded of two years ago When my son got on a truck with me in Knoxville, Tennessee, and we went to Denver. Now, I don't mind telling you the only reason he went to Denver is because we were going to Denver. The only reason he rode me that week is because we were going to Denver, okay? I don't mind telling you that. I don't mind telling you that the truck stop I parked at had three of them next door to it. I don't mind telling you. We went into all three of them. We didn't. He wasn't old enough. So me and the frog in my pocket went into all three of them. I don't mind telling you that. You're welcome. I also don't mind telling you this. That was during the middle of the COVID shutdowns and I had a grill on the back of my truck. One of the things I love about Action Church is I can tell you all the truth and I can shoot straight with you. So here we go. I walked into the truck stop. I walked next door, bought him something, walked into the truck stop, bought me a six pack of beer. I'm cooking on the grill, having a six pack of beer. He's not cooking, he's having something else. A couple guys come up, a couple other truck drivers come up. They're having a beer with us. We're cooking. And after we talk, and this guy it just begins to share his story, and my son's hearing all this. And after that guy left and we got ready to go to bed, my son looks at me and says, Dad, you're still a pastor. You think what that guy said to me yesterday stole my joy? You, you, tell, you, tell you tell the people who I still get the opportunity to invest in, to minister to, to love, and to point to Jesus that I'm not qualified to be a pastor. You tell the people who call me when their world's falling apart and they need somebody who's been through hell and smells like fire. And you tell those people when they need somebody who will listen to them that I'm not qualified. Because I know regardless of my mistakes, regardless of me being the worst of sinners, I know that my purpose cannot be derailed. I, I am not powerful enough to derail the purpose or to remove the calling that God has placed on my life. Neither are you. You're not powerful enough to remove the calling or to derail the purpose that God has placed on your life. You see, one of the things that I love about the Scriptures is that when we begin to see the Scripture, we look at, at Scripture and we wonder, why did Paul write so many letters in the New Testament? Why was Paul the one qualified? Well, God chose him to do so. Yeah, but if you begin to look at Paul's life, you understand some things. Number one, Paul had dual citizenship. Number, so he was uniquely positioned in a place to be able to speak to the Jewish people of his heritage, but also to speak to the Roman people. Paul also had been to a school of Gamaliel. Paul had been, Paul had been to one of the leading scholars of the day. It would be, and, and Gamaliel's school was considered to be the more liberal, so it would be like one of us going to Yale or Harvard or Princeton. And he was uniquely educated to be able to speak to people from all walks of life. Paul knew in Philippians chapter 4, Paul said he knew how to speak, he knew how to have it all, and he knew how to have nothing. He was uniquely positioned. The reason he was uniquely positioned is because because God used the journey that he had been on from the time he was a child to prepare him to minister to the people that he did. Can I tell you that our own purpose, God has used the unique journey that you have been on in your life, whether you've made every right turn or whether you've got some bumps, bruises, and scars along the way. God's used every bit of that journey to prepare you to fulfill the purpose that he has placed on your life. And that purpose that he's placed on your life is that you might speak life and truth into others so that people might see that if even you can follow Christ, they can too. How do we keep the joy from being stolen? We we recognize the power of the tongue. Yes, we understand that that words have meaning. And we go back to the basics and we don't let the news get us all up up in arms. We just remember that they tried to cancel Christmas 2,000 years ago and it didn't work then. Go back to the basics. And then we remember our own purpose. One of the things that I love about being a truck driver, I told a buddy of mine one time when I started driving, I said, man, I feel like I'm wasting away in this truck. And his comment to me was, don't let yourself waste away. When you park at night, like prepare sermons and, and keep studying and keep doing. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't often do that. Because that is not, on a stage is not always where I get to have and fulfill my purpose. But when that phone rings at 6.30 in the morning... And it's that buddy of mine calling me to tell me that his daughter's in the hospital, in the children's hospital. They just diagnosed her with type 1 juvenile diabetes. Let me quit lying. It's more along the lines of diabetes because it's South Carolina. You notice how I said that too. Not South Carolina, South Carolina. I got to say, I'm trying to become, you know, correctly affiliated, or when that buddy of mine calls me and says, hey, man, when you were going through your junk, I didn't understand why you couldn't get over it. Man, I got married six months ago, and it's falling apart, and my life is just upside down, and hey, I just, I just wanted to call and tell you, man, that I'm checking myself into a rehab Because I haven't believed what you believe, but I hear what you say and I watch what you do. And and you haven't convinced me yet, but one day you might. And I know it sounds crazy because I don't believe it exactly the same way you do, but I'm checking myself into a rehab. Will you pray for me? Nope, can't do it, man. I'm not qualified to do that anymore. You think that's what I said? No, dude, absolutely, I'll pray for you. Hey, let me pray for you right now. Hey, when he posts that he's been clean and sober for this many days, you know what I tell him? Man, I'm proud of you. Well, can't encourage you. I'm not qualified anymore. Remember your own purpose. God didn't save us just so we can sit soak and sour, God didn't save us so that we could sit on the bench. God didn't save us so that we might look back and be like, well, if I'd have been in there, I'd have made this play. God saved us so that we could get in the fight. God saved us so that we could get in the game. God saved us that we might be able to wage a good warfare. And I don't mean with our hands and with our fists and fighting the government and AK-47s and Not that that doesn't need to happen sometimes. God didn't save us for that reason. God saved us so that others might be able to see Christ in us so that they too might be able to have a relationship with their creator. Regardless of what your journey looks like, God has allowed you to walk that journey so that you would be uniquely prepared to minister to those with whom you come into contact. Now, I have to say that very carefully because somebody's going to hear this and they're going to say, well, he's using that to justify his sin. Remember at the very beginning of this, I said, say what you mean, mean what you say. Didn't I say that? I'm not saying that to justify anything. I'm saying that God is bigger than the power of my sin. God is bigger than the power of your past. And God can uniquely mold it together. It's called Romans 8, And we know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Well, there can't be many brethren among whom he might be the firstborn of, meaning that he went from death to life, unless... There are many brethren, and there can't be many brethren if those of us that God has allowed to walk various journeys, if he can't, doesn't have the power to take the negative and work it for good. I would be willing to bet that every one of you who have some bumps, bruises, and scars would say, you know what? I wish that I could have learned the lessons I needed to have learned without making the mistakes I needed to make that I made. Right? I, we all wish that. But can I tell you? those of us who walk in redemption also understand that our God is significantly powerful and much more powerful than the pain of our past. And that he takes the pain of our past and he uses that to make it the pathway to victory for other people. So we don't, We don't allow ourselves to be scrooged by the words that others say when we remember our own purpose. This time of year, it's easy to be at the store and to get mad. I can't stand self-checkouts. It's easy to be at the store and get mad about self-checkouts and lose your joy. Can I tell you Christmas is not about whether or not you have to do Walmart's job for them? Can I tell you that Christmas is not about whether or not your cashier is talking to her friend and you're wishing that you had a self-checkout? Christmas is not about that. Your purpose is bigger than those things. Your purpose is so that through your journey, others might come to know Christ. That's your purpose. So how do we keep our joy this time of year? We recognize the power of the tongue. We go back to the basics and we remember our own purpose.